New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today I'm hosting Michael Mead. He's a renowned storyteller, author, scholar of mythology, and the author of Why the World Doesn't End, Tales of Renewal When All Seems Lost. Michael, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Good to be at the cafe, Justine. Great to have you. Michael, We hear a lot about the ends of time, and we're in a lot of chaos right now in the world with all that's going on. So you point out in your new book that the end is never quite the end. Can you say something about that? Well, I'm a student of etymology, and so I pay attention to words. And the root meanings of end are remainder or remnant. So in the end, you don't have finito, good night, over and out. You have remainders, loose ends, and remnants. And why that's important, the way it's important to me studying mythology, is from the loose ends it all starts again. So yes, we're at the end. We're already past the world as we knew it. It's changing before us all the time. But it doesn't mean that it's going to end in fiery destruction You know, nowadays, some of the scientists say that. Either a comet will strike the Earth or ecological disaster, or we'll blow it up with nuclear weapons. But from a mythological point of view, the world itself can't end. We might create a lot of destruction. We've been working on that for a while. But the world's not going to end. That's not the point. That's not the thing to worry about. I think the issue is what to do in this time that the Greeks would have called apocalypsis, this period between collapse and renewal, between catastrophe and creation. We're in the troubled times, financial troubles, social troubles, ecological troubles. They cannot be denied. Well, some people can, but, you know, what can you do about them? But, but for the rest of us, we can't deny them. So I think it's important to know that all creation comes from chaos. If you study creation myths, all creation comes out of chaos. So if we can't do anything about it, if the trouble is on us, why not pay attention then to the loose threads and the remainders and the remnants from which we can help reweave things? The one good thing about collapse is it gives us a chance to start over, and there are many things that could use a strong renewal. And in that, when things are going well, it's really hard to change things. In fact, I think it's impossible. But when things are getting chaotic, this can be a very rich and creative time, wouldn't you say? This is as rich as it gets. (laughs) Remember Dickens and the Tale of Two Cities? You know, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. Well, this is the best of worlds and the worst of worlds. And so what I did was find stories from different cultures about how it renews. For instance, I have a South American myth where everything turned to ashes. And then in the middle of the ashes, this one character who happens to be left begins dancing and singing in the ashes, and that leads to awakening a green tendril that begins to be the tree of life coming back, as if to say, 
when you get to the end, what you do is you find the dance of renewal. You find the song of creation. And so it's a time of innovation. It's a time of potential creativity. But I think it's done with conscious knowledge that it's also a very painful period, that a lot of people are suffering loss and suffering, you know, disasters of all kinds. And we don't know how that's going to go. And so it requires a kind of courage and and a kind of uh, attunement to what's called creation ongoing. In other words, in the Western world, they've gotten these ideas that it must have started at a certain time. And But in the mythological perspective, it's all going on all the time. And humans are supposed to be the assistance to creation. And so it's a time when people can be individually very creative. And in that sense, it's beauty. It's beauty in its own way. Michael, you mentioned dancing and singing You know, I mean, there's a lot of gnashing of teeth right now, but the dancing and singing right now is also important, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know how you say that. I'm getting older now and have been through all kinds of difficulty. I work with people in trouble. I work with refugees and prisoners and and gang kids and all that. And uh, I see people when they face the issues, whatever they may be, personal illness, personal loss, poverty, when those things are being faced, I see people immediately find the new dances, the way they'd be most alive. Our job here is to be dancing, in a sense, in the face of threat and in the face of chaos. I just came from this festival of sacred music, and they had to turn people away. Because there's an instinct that says, in the midst of this, sacred things can be found. When you get down to the bottom, and it's no longer about what kind of car you drive, it's can you feel the pulse of life, and when you feel it, you you feel like dancing. And dancing is the old metaphor for being part of the whole thing. And so innovation in any field is really joining the dance. And so, yes, it's a hard time. I think it's going to continue to be that way, but we don't give up the dance. We actually look for new steps. So, Michael, you mentioned the remnant and the the thread and are picking up the thread. What can individuals do in the face of this this breaking down of so many things? Well, see, it used to be that you would have uh, a culture that would have a shared myth, and then people would all be inside the protection of that story. Then you would have cultural institutions, which people would be inside the protection of the institutions. And people used to have imagination for the whole universe. And people thought, we're in this universe that makes sense. Well, that's gone now. The uncertainty principle rules science. No one knows what's coming next. So there's two big stories in the world. The story of the world itself, the myths of the world. And then the other big story is hidden inside people. It's the mythic essence of one's own life. And so my sense is that when the outer world doesn't make any sense, turn to the inner world. So you have all the spiritual practices now coming from the East that people in the West are doing because they're attuned to the inner world. But then I like the core Western idea that each person is born with a thread of genius. And if a person can find their own genius, a couple of things happen. Along with finding that thread, there's an increase of vitality. You know, you can feel purposeful and meaningful. And then that thread is trying to pull us to a place, to a place where we can contribute. And so when the mess gets so big, 
when every part of nature needs help and every part of culture needs help. It means everybody's being called kind of a bigger collective initiation. But the way you join it is by finding one's thread and where it's going. I was 13 years old and was threatened with death. And that's when I found out I was a storyteller. It took me a long time to learn how to live with that. But on that one day, at the age of 13, something spoke up in me that I didn't know was there. It wasn't given to me by my parents and it wasn't you know, blessed by anybody at all, but it was inside me. And my life has become more and more about that thread of story. And I think everybody has that thread. That's the old idea. Everybody has innate genius. And when everything around one is falling apart, why not go right there? That's something that can be counted on. You know, Michael, sometimes it's hard for us to recognize that thread of genius inside. And I know that you've spoken before about um, the Native American idea where they're so attuned with nature and someone is born and they, they understand this person, their thread has to do with a redwood tree or their thread has to do with the horse. And somehow that felt like, gosh, I wish I knew as I approach uh, my eldership, I still wonder, what is my thread? And I'm sure other people have that question. Here's the tricky part of it. You know, in, in Fate and Destiny, another book I wrote, I had to start with my own story. Which is, by the way, all revised. So if, yeah, you know, there's a new version of it. Yeah. But um, I was cornered by this rival gang. I'm growing up in New York City. I'm 13. I'm in a little gang we call the crew. But I've now been cornered by a rival gang of older guys, and they pull these knives out, and they're going to cut me up for reasons that make no sense, but they make sense in the neighborhood. And uh, my ego, so to speak, departs. I mean, this is a little bit too much of my 13-year-old ego. Like, I'm getting out of here. And all of a sudden, this voice starts to speak up from inside me, and I start telling them a story. And they forget to hurt me and let me go because the story was compelling. So what I'm trying to say is whatever has saved your life is part of your genius and your thread. So the very things that people don't want to do is look at the worst time they had. You look at the worst time and what happens is darkness and trouble and threat cause us to find resources we didn't know we had. We're all still alive, those of us that are listening, and something has kept us alive, and it's not the economy that did it. It's something inside. And so one way to look for it is to look for the most difficult times. Um, because we don't have initiation process in the modern world, which they used to have for, for girls and boys to have a chance to find out who they are before they you know, take on the responsibilities of life before they take on the responsibilities. Since we don't have that, a lot of people don't really encounter themselves fully until they get divorced. So people who have been divorced, and you know how painful that is, there's a tearing of the emotional tissues and the family breaks apart. And then people want to get away from it, go back to that spot. Whatever caused a person to survive that divorce and find some quality in themselves and find a way to love themselves after their attempt at loving others failed, their genius is hiding there. Whoever survives a serious illness Whatever allowed them to survive that, whoever winds up in prison and survives it, the genius is hiding inside the trouble of one's life because it's our answer to life's troubles. And you're saying when we find that genius, we need to contribute it. We need to not hold back, but, but participate then in that dance of life, in the dance of recreation. Yeah. 
Our, our job is to pull our thread back into the world, our little bright thread of genius, in order to help the brightness come back and in order to help reweave things. Everybody is needed right now. I mean, one of the amazing things, I know the unemployment is high, but it shouldn't be because everybody has a job to do now. And some people are pulled to trees. They instinctively know trees. I grew up in the city. I'm still trying to understand the trees. I love them. But I have friends that understand, oh, look, here's why that tree is withering. You know, I would watch it wither for 100 years. I don't know. You know, but put me in a place where there's trouble and conflict and story and something wakes up in me. So I think part of the problem is people have been given the wrong story. They think it's all supposed to be okay. And when it's not okay, there's something wrong. But when it's not okay is when this inner genius awakens. And there are people who have the genius of empathy. As soon as you meet them, you want to tell them your deepest secrets because they can hear from an ear that they have hidden in their soul. And they're the best friends to have. They're the makers of friendship. Now, you can't get a job easily doing that, and you don't even get recognized, but you're essential if you're an empath. And the people who have artistic talents, the idea isn't to sell that for a big contract. If you get a big contract, okay, have a party. The idea is to contribute to the world. A person's genius wants to be given. We're supposed to be gift givers, not consumers. It's too late to be consumers. We're consuming the whole damn world. We're supposed to be gift givers. And as soon as a person finds their thread, they will find a way to give. And you never know. The nature of giving is such that it can seem like a small thing, but it can change people and it can change circumstances and change communities. True enough. So I'm saying in the midst of trouble, take a chance. Take a chance. And there's a whole new way, a whole new cycle, a whole new energy for the joy of collaboration. Well, and also because the job has gotten so big that smart people thought to go, wow, no one person's going to solve this. No one idea is going to solve this. And so collaboration starts to make a lot of sense. And again, you can put your bright thread in and it can be woven with other threads. And so, yes, it's a time of catastrophe. You know, catastrophe is another Greek word. And it means big trouble. But in Greek drama, the catastrophe is the point at which it all turns and all the answers come out. Everything gets revealed in the middle of catastrophe. So the very words we use to describe the trouble we're in actually have hidden threads that tell us that trouble, which means uh, something like uh, turbulence, is actually the thing through which everything changes in an individual life as well as in the bigger picture of the world. Michael, I want to thank you for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe. You've given us a lot of food for thought. Michael Mead is the author of Why the World Doesn't End, Tales of Renewal When All Seems Lost. And he has a CD set, many CD sets, but the newest one is Inner Wisdom. And if you'd like to be in touch with him or like to know more about the work that he does, you can go to his website, mosaicvoices.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. And please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, 
to subscribe to our newsletters or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.